0: Hello and welcome back to Ad Talk. I'm your host, George Tarnopolski with GT Programmatic Consulting. It's great to be back with you after a sabbatical. And I will update you what I've been up to. And there's a lot to talk about. I've been on sabbatical in part because I've been working on a full-time non-ad tech project, but one firmly in the tech industry. And I will describe what it's like to leave ad tech and then to come back again Also, for my part, I've been a close observer of the ad tech industry, so I will give you my observations on the state of the ad tech industry in 2018. Observations, trends, things around consolidation, funding, emerging acronyms like CDPs, the role of management consultants, Amazon, and the trade desk. And then last but not least, We'll talk about what's next and what's hot. We'll talk about in-housing. We'll talk about the role of agencies versus consultants. We'll talk about the next big ad platforms, as well as the emerging programmatic channels and offerings like connected TV, digital, out of home, and audio. There's a lot to talk about. So first to set the table, I will describe for you what I've been up to and what it's like to leave ad tech and then to come back again. There's an interesting phenomenon in ad tech and probably at every industry where folks that have worked in the industry for a while like to project what it would be like to leave the space. There's also a fear and a reluctance that our experience is specialized and doesn't apply in any other space. Personally, I've also seen this problem from another interesting side, from companies looking to hire qualified candidates for roles. To lend personal perspective, an example that comes to mind is when I interviewed at an unnamed SSP about two years ago. From a background perspective, I've spent time managing services and building teams on the buy side for DSP platforms. And when I interviewed at this SSP platform, I've gotten pushback that I just didn't have the SSP experience. And finally, I was very blunt with a hiring manager saying that, look, At the end of the day, we're talking about an auction-based marketplace, and the only difference is whether we're serving the sell side or the buy side. And to me, in a comical way, this represents how fragmented and how specialized our marketplace has gotten on both ends. So when we launched GT Programmatic Consulting, our goal is to specialize in three different areas. One was to specialize in programmatic, of course. Two, to specialize in operations and client services consulting and in building teams for any software as a service companies. And three, to provide career coaching and development services, both on a paid as well as a pro bono basis. And the reason for the show's hiatus is that for about a year, we spent consulting and building a client services organization for a company in the travel industry. And a very interesting model where uh, the company serves as a platform and an API partner that plugs into the online travel channels like Airbnb, Expedia, and Booking.com, a very interesting ecosystem, a very interesting industry. So a question that I've gotten from a lot of my uh, media and ad tech veterans is, what is it like? How have you been able to make the jump from one to the other? And my response to this question is that it's been fairly easy. To me, at the core, what we do is we support software products. And in turn, that can be translatable to any industry. When my industry comrades tell me that they've only worked in ad tech, my response to them is that they've been working in tech. And when I've been involved on in helping launch services for a travel software company, I found the sets of skills to be directly translatable. My role has been to build and launch a team that's technical in nature, supports a software product, and works with customers on launching, training, and is dedicated to making customers wildly successful. So it's been relatively easy to make the shift into another industry. I would also say that it only took about four to six weeks to be really proficient in the software product of this company. At the same time, I have discovered something that's that's been missing, and one of the reasons why we've returned to ad tech. And the biggest thing that's been missing for me is context. Now, through years in the industry, and this literally takes years, we build an incredibly rich context about everything that's happening in the ecosystem. Who are the companies? who are the players, what are the trends, what are the market dynamics? And that experience is so extremely valuable for really being an industry leader. And for me, even though I've quickly built expertise, I did feel like a little bit of an imposter simply because, again, I didn't have that institutional knowledge around who are the main competitors, what are the market dynamics, who's winning, who's losing, and what's next. I would also add that I've really missed the customers. Something that we really take for granted in this industry is the great customers that we work with. I have personally missed getting out there in front of our enterprise-level customers, whether it's agencies, whether it's brands, and presenting solutions to them. So I'm extremely excited to be in ad tech. And again, if you're curious about taking a step outside the industry, I would say that anxiety is unfounded. At the end of the day, it's software as a service. It is tech. So while I've spent some time consulting outside the ad tech ecosystem, I've been a close observer of ad tech and have been watching the market dynamics of what's what's happening. So here are my observations about the state of the industry in 2018, what the trends are around consolidation, funding, emerging companies, etc. So from my perspective, there's definitely been a lot of consolidation. And if you go back to 2016-2017, uh, we had what uh, Terry Kowaji calls the great ad tech cleanup. We've had a lot of companies being taken off the market or having a hard pivot, like Millennial Media, Rocket Fuel, Charmer Video DSP, MaxPoint, Yumi. There are numerous uh, names on this list. In 2018, we haven't had a ton of deals and we have had fundraisers around data and identity. In particular, there's a lot of interest in the whole CDP slash DMP space with companies like MParticle, Lytix, Session M, and, and BounceX. So it's been interesting in itself. Terry Kawadra has also pointed out very correctly that ad tech has been a horrible investment and on Wall Street. A dollar invested in 2012 in public ad tech companies is now worth about 25 cents. Although I would argue that that number is probably improved as of late because Rubicon has exhibited stronger financial performance under the leadership of Michael Barrett. So cheers, Michael. Of course, there's been a standout, and that has been the trade desk, which has been flying high and has been trading at over 15 times its revenue multiple. So very nicely done. And I think we will see over time whether that valuation is warranted. I think there's definitely a forward sales multiple that's being applied to this valuation today. So now let's talk about CDPs. I would say the hottest segment in the industry and one that has just a ton of buzz around it. And I would say that one of the main reasons why CDPs really resonate with marketers in particular is because they've really honed in on a marketing message that works extremely well and speaks the brand's own language. So what is it that CDPs claim that they do? And they claim that they do these five things. One is that they aggregate all of the marketer data. Two is that they unite this data across a common identifier. Three is that they model slash segment this data. Four is that CDPs push these data segments to all the different activation platforms. And five, that at least some of these platforms are able to pull in reporting and analytics and insights from these activation platforms back into the CDPs to create this closed-loop segment modeling and ongoing optimization and pushing back out to the activation platforms. To me, it, I think it's really important that we dig in and try to dispel uh, what's, what's real versus what's fictional. I think that for a large part, CDPs are simply a rebranding of DMPs. Now, there is still a point of differentiation. Even if you look at the first three pillars of what CDPs claim that they do, which is aggregate data, unite data, and model and segment the data. Even in those three pillars, there has been a progression. If you look at DMPs, historically, DMPs have really been involved in uh, anonymous or cookie-based data. So DMPs have been involved in kind of the the unknown space. And today, it's pretty clear that these DMPs, especially ones that have rebranded as CDPs, are also ingesting known data, such as CRM data or other deterministic data. So that's definitely a point of differentiation. But at the same time, I would say these first three pillars or what the CDPs claim that they do This is the same as the old DMP value proposition. You aggregate data, you unite the data across multiple devices and screens, and three is you model and segment the data. The next two steps are new, which is push to activation platforms and even pull in reporting and insights from the activation platforms. Now, in my experience, Step four, which is push to activation platforms, is actually, again, not that different than the work that we've been doing even with the incumbent DMPs, even a couple of years ago. So you take a DMP like Adobe, you take any DSP, let's say the Trade Desk or Adelphic, All of these major DSPs have an integration with Adobe. What does that mean? It means that the Adobe segments are going to be visible for activation in the DSP. So even though this is old functionality, one from a couple of years ago, this is functionality that CDPs now claim as a differentiator. I would also say that step five, where CDPs are pulling in reporting and insights from the activation of platforms, is probably more aspirational than real. I personally just haven't seen it. I do think that something like this would drive tremendous value for advertisers and agencies. So I do want to see this in action. However, I tend to think that that last step, pulling in reporting and insights, is more fictional than it is factual. Now, how CDPs have marketed themselves seems to really have worked hand in glove with the emergence of management consultants in our space. And the large management consulting companies are spending a lot of time advising customers and brands on how to implement CDPs. I had a conversation with an unnamed management consultancy recently, where they were obsessing about CDPs as the hot next thing and something for them to talk about. And I think I'll lend the contrarian perspective by saying that I don't believe that customer data platforms per se exist. To me, the P stands for philosophy. It's a customer data philosophy. And in fact, Anyone can own a customer data philosophy because those last two steps, which is push to activation platforms and pull in insights, are still largely manual. So in general, I would say that CDPs look great on paper. At the same time, I would say that we as an industry have been effectively architecting CDPs for some time now. All it's taken is DMPs, activation platforms, and a services layer in the middle. And I believe that this is in large part how CDPs continue to work today. I would love to be proven wrong, so let me know if you have an example of CDPs actually going beyond this manual mechanism that I'm describing. Also going back to the state of the industry to 2018, we've obviously seen a tremendous push from Amazon. I think it makes a lot of sense. They have both incredible intent and purchase data, and they also have cross-device identity. They have deterministic identity, and they offer an alternative to Google. At the same time, I would say that some of the same obstacles that exist in the Google ecosystem also exist in the Amazon stack, maybe even to a stronger degree. For example, today Amazon doesn't love third-party pixels on their media and also has barriers around what kind of data you can take out of their platform. We also talked briefly about the Trade Desk. The Trade Desk has obviously become the leading buying platform and simply put, they have a great buying platform. They have a DMP front-end, They have a great execution and activation platform and they have a visionary CEO with Jeff Green, as well as pretty big ambitions. I think it's unfortunate that the walled gardens force brands and agencies to make these tough choices to effectively use multiple platforms by making certain inventory like YouTube inventory only available through their own tools. But at the same time, I think that the trade desk has been able to use this to their advantage by saying that they provide an alternative and they provide a way of buying audiences across the entire web. This is a good segue into what I think is next and what's hot. So there's been a lot of trends. There's been an emergence of new ad platforms. We already talked about Amazon and the Trade Desk. I'll talk about who else might be on the market in the future. We've also seen a big trend around in-housing. For example, they're taking business in-house with the help of Mighty Hive. And we'll also talk a little bit more about my perspective on the role of agencies versus consultants. So first, let's talk a little bit about the big platforms. We already spoke a little bit about Amazon. Why do they win? Well, simply because they have data and identity. What does that mean? First, Amazon is uniquely positioned to have a cross-device deterministic graph. Users log into Amazon on their mobile devices. Users log into Amazon on their desktop computers and other devices, and everywhere that same user is identified through the Amazon login. So Amazon has an incredible cross-device deterministic graph which is just perfect for being an ad tech platform. And also Amazon has great data because they have that rich shopping intent and purchase behavior data. And Amazon also has great search data, and Amazon is starting to allow customers to retarget based on search queries, which is really exciting. However, Amazon is really not unique in this respect. When I think about who is next, the company that's most similar to Amazon is actually eBay. And in my opinion, if eBay wanted to, it would be very easy for them to launch an ad tech platform. They have toyed with the idea before, and they, of course, have the eBay advertising division, but they've never really fully committed to building their own ad platform. If they want to, I think they could have a very compelling offering. First, much like Amazon, eBay has extremely rich cross-device user data. Users have the eBay app, users shop on eBay across all the different devices. And again, eBay can identify that it's the same user through their eBay login. I would also argue that eBay has an even richer data set than Amazon has, simply because there are more product categories on eBay than there are on Amazon. On eBay you can buy everything from antiques and collectibles all the way through to cars on eBay motors. So again, the data set is incredibly rich and if eBay wanted to, they could really make a splash in the ecosystem. And then of course, when we think further out, I think that someone like Samsung could really be a contender in this space if they wanted to. Why Samsung? Well, they already are the number two smartphone manufacturer in the world. So they're capturing extremely rich device ID data Samsung phones also now come installed with Bixby, which is a virtual assistant developed by Samsung. And last but not least, Samsung is a very strong player in the Internet of Things, especially with smart fridges. And I would say that smart fridges are the dream addressable ecosystem for marketers. When I think about smart fridges, I think about them as as just an ideal source of data, Think about how attractive it would be for Pepsi to know that someone has run out of Pepsi in their fridge. There's really limitless possibilities to the data that can be mined from smart fridges. Of course, with the customer's consent. And this is where things get both interesting and a little bit tricky. Because to our earlier example, I think that customers would be okay in sharing data around something innocuous like their Pepsi consumption. However, I think a lot more customers would be concerned in sharing that they have a bottle of vodka in their fridge every couple of days. Nevertheless, I think it's a very exciting time. The ecosystem is growing. There's more of what we call these programmatic frontiers, including connected TV, digital out of home, audio, programmatic mail, etc., cetera, et cetera. So I think it's actually a great time to be a marketer. With that, I will give you my perspective on some of these emerging programmatic channels like connected TV, digital out of home, and audio. And what's great about these is that when you think about the customer journey and all the customer touch points and about how we personalize the customer doing it through these channels that we can now access in a programmatic way just creates for a more holistic and personalized customer experience. So I think the pros are extremely strong and that these channels can really help a brand better illustrate the journey of the customer and have as many touch points in the customer experiences as possible. I think there's drawbacks too. And for me, a lot of the drawbacks are actually in measurement. So when you look at connected TV, for example, or convergent TV, it's maybe the hottest new channel. At the same time, measurement is quite limited, with us just being able to measure impressions, spend, and completion rate. The same paradigm applies to digital out of home where we can just measure impressions and spend. And if we want to measure real impact of these channels on customer behavior, we have to rely on things like foot traffic measurement and lift studies and things like that. The audio channel is a little bit more compelling because the delivery of the content as well as the ads usually happens on the user's own mobile device. So we can measure a lot more. Now we can measure things like completions, muting, pausing, impressions, clicks, and then we can measure conversions usually on the companion banner. Last but not least, I wanted to spend some time talking about the trend of in-housing and the role of agencies versus consultants. So again, we've definitely seen an increased trend of brands taking their advertising business in-house. And there's a few examples that come to mind recently. In part, this process is accelerated by the increased role that management consultants are playing in the ecosystem. Now, if I were a brand and I were evaluating from a philosophical perspective whether I should take my media business in-house, it might certainly seem appealing. However, I would also argue that brands really need to do a very thorough analysis before they go down this path. I've seen a recent data set from eMarketer that said that one of the main reasons why brands work with agencies is because of cost savings. And of course, this is where management consultancies that cost a ton of money come in to advise brands on how they can take business in-house and they help brands with doing pretty sophisticated benefit cost analysis. I think it's a pretty risky business for a lot of brands. I think it's very difficult for brands to take media business in-house in a cost-effective way. Of course, the real benefit is that not only do you absorb the operational aspects of your media buying and planning, But you actually run better media campaigns when you take things in-house. My perspective on this is that for most brands, taking media in-house is probably wrong. For the same reason that brands shouldn't take their manufacturing in-house. Agencies can drive significant cost efficiencies. And this is done in different ways. It's done by having staff that's frankly cheaper. It's also done by having a lot of expertise and institutional knowledge. And to that point, I think there's a real opportunity for specialist ad agencies out there. And I think we will see a greater trend around specialist agencies that go deep versus these generalist agencies. I would actually argue that this trend of in-housing media businesses in part comes from agencies doing a one-shoe-fits-all generic media buying and planning offering across all their clients. And I think it's pretty plain to see that this approach doesn't work. So I think specialist agencies, for example, ones that specialize in healthcare or automotive or political advertising, really stand to gain and continue to grow in this marketplace where there is a continued in-housing trend. So with that, let's close today's episode. I know there's been a lot to talk about, and I'm curious to get your opinion on it. Please leave us a review. And visit gtconsult.us. This episode will is available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Thanks, and take care.